1: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Science of Sport podcast live from Budapest. I'm Ross Tucker, not in Budapest, only Mike is there. He is in the stands, trackside, in the media center bringing us some great sports science insights and thoughts from the athletes at the World Athletics Championships and we hope that you've been enjoying those. These are daily episodes that are going out on Instagram live, so you can watch them there. This one has gone out obviously also as a podcast to all of you. But every day's episodes are also going out exclusively to our patron members. This is a community that you can join. You sign up by making a small donation, basically the equivalent of a cup of coffee once a month. And then it gives you access to that community, and for that you get the opportunity to engage with other patrons. There's been some incredibly stimulating discussion about each of the day's athletics at Worlds, as well as other topics. There was a lot of concussion talk on there at the moment in the aftermath of Farrell's appeal being overturned, more on that shortly. And then, of course, you also get exclusive episodes. So if you are enjoying our coverage, please consider making that donation. Mike will be joining me very shortly. And we've got a, a double day, basically, because we're going to go back two days and talk about the Women's 100 Meter again, where Shakari Richardson won in an incredibly fast time. And then Mike was at a press conference he wanted to share some thoughts about. Then we talk about last night where Faith kip stamped her authority all over that 1500 event is having one of the great seasons for a distance runner and last night was no difference we talk a little bit about heat and humidity it's become a major factor in budapest to the point that it's even had to force a rescheduling of certain events and we talk some anti-doping there were a few developments yesterday new tools an athlete who is going to come under scrutiny i think as the week progresses so we discuss that in today's episode so yes please enjoy this i hope that you've been enjoying our coverage so far i've certainly enjoyed the engagement over on patreon and on instagram and thank you very much for all the feedback and all the wonderful discussion that we can have about this week world track and field championships so let's get mike on the line and let's talk some athletics and here he comes there's that famous iconic image of an air conditioner in the hotel room for Mike's uh, in the background of Mike's hotel room how's it going well I can
0: tell you, the air conditioner was on full tilt at the moment on 16 degrees celsius it's not working as well as I was hoping it was going to be because uh, as uh, I've told you on many occasions it is very hot and even now at what nine o'clock in the morning it is probably at least 30 233 degrees outside
1: yeah the heat but we'll talk the a little bit about, it, about big... the heat
0: because that is it is now starting to make have an impact on this world championships yeah. as we will get to
1: in a moment yeah so, I was about uh, to it's... say the heat's become the big story well one of the big stories because it's forced to change in schedule so yeah there yeah. was
0: an athlete in one of the heats yesterday that was taken off the track um just after the i think it was i can't remember which, which one it was i kind of glanced up at the tv that sort of collapsed after one of the events um, but I'm not sure it was just from pure exhaustion or just whether the heat had, had played a role in this, but uh, yeah, it was a, certainly it's certainly I think basically playing a big role in the marathon runners. Interesting to see how they're changing the way that they prepare this week and um, in, in terms of acclimatizing for the heat at the moment. so
1: Yeah, when are those races on uh, the weekend?
0: Yeah, just having a quick look here and just uh, checking the schedule for the marathon. So the women's mar- the men's marathon is on, on Sunday at seven o'clock in the morning. So it's relatively early, but again, I would say by seven o'clock in the morning, the temperatures are going to be very, very close to, to to thirty degrees. And then the women's marathon is on the Saturday morning at seven o'clock as well. So I I, I suspect we're going to see. We may as well talk about the heat today, mm. just to kick things off, because um, I suspect that we're going to see. Maybe the marathon made even earlier um, because we just got a, a, a directive yesterday from the from World Athletics saying that they have now um, accepted that is the actual statement says as you are aware the weather conditions in Budapest are becoming extreme. Now for us in South Africa, you know, extreme is forty degrees Celsius, but um, they use a thing called the wet bulb globe temperature, mm-hmm. um, and they've said that now that the five thousand women's heats on Wednesday, which is today. now moved from the morning at 11 o'clock to seven o'clock tonight, um, just to try and give them a little bit of a respite from the heat. And the tournament women's heats are now starting early at 11.20, um, and not 12.15 as they were supposed to be today. So that's an interesting development because now they're recognizing the heat is playing a role.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not the first time. This is always a threat when you have a summer world champs. Remember in Qatar, they ran those marathons pretty close to midnight to try and avoid the heat so it wouldn't be the first time this the start time of a race has changed i'm not sure they'll do it at this late stage it'd be interesting to see that so just for the phys- physiology of it wet bulb globe temperature is an indication of heat stress in direct sunlight so and i just wanted to read this definition so i don't leave anything off it takes into account temperature which i think is obvious Humidity, which should be obvious, wind speed, sun angle, and cloud cover. And so you then get a figure at the end that adjusts the temperature. So it's not simply it's hot today. It's hot, humid, sunny, and still. That's a problem. And it's a problem because in order to lose the heat we produce when we exercise, we have to either have wind cooling, which is convection, or we have to have the evaporation of sweat. And there comes a point, temperature-wise, where the gradient is actually reversed. Our skin becomes cooler than the air. And so now suddenly convection works against us because we're gaining. It's like standing in front of an oven, right? You're going to feel heat onto your body. And then when the humidity gets to above 60 65%, then the evaporation of sweat becomes impossible. And so now you have no option left. All you can do is store and accumulate heat. So that's the reason it matters. And then radiation adds heat to the body you go stand in the sun step in the shade stand in the sun you'll feel immediately the difference and so yeah it's uh it's a massive challenge for athletes and you know it's a challenge even for 400 meter athletes because they have to warm up Mm. 100 meter 100 meter athletes are going to be exposed for 30 40 minutes and they're in these tents it looks like i heard on the bbc they were discussing that there was no air conditioning in those waiting tents as they moved from the warm-up area onto the track and so it it's probably quite an unpleasant experience even I mean forget one of the shot put athletes are probably taking strain in the heat so it's uh yeah it's a challenge it was
0: interesting talking to one of the journalists that was at the Qatar World Championships and he was saying that it was cooler there because that actually made the um because that actually made the the decision to have the big air conditioning units on in the stadium themselves so they were those big air conditioning units that were basically pushing um the the the, the into the stadium itself so it's cooler so here we talk about the heat of qatar but in fact the heat in budapest is more extreme than the heat of qatar purely because they don't have those that that, that the air conditioning units that they had in qatar so it it certainly is playing and according to the, this um, media statement from world athletics Um, This black flag level is when the temperature is 86 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 30 degrees Celsius, Um, which doesn't sound extreme when you consider some of the temperatures that we have around the world at the moment, but 30 degrees when you're maximing out um, uh, your your effort levels um, combined with, as you say, all the other factors that are involved here, um, it obviously puts it at a very extreme and dangerous level for the athletes.
1: Yeah, I mean, just to give you one example of how this plays out, if the temperature is 80 Fahrenheit, what's that? Have you got your little converter? Yeah, at,
0: well, at least six Fahrenheit is 30 degrees
1: Celsius. Don't ask me to change anything else. <laughs> Hang on, I'm looking up what 80 Fahrenheit is. If we should know this. 80, 80 Fahrenheit's is 27. So that's a warm day, but depending where you're in the world, you might describe that as pleasantly warm. If, if the if the relative humidity is 30%, then the wet bulb temperature is 79 and then as I, as I increase that humidity to 40%, it goes 80. By the time we get to 50%, it's 81. And by the time I get to 75% humidity, it hits, sorry, 80% humidity, it hits that 86 mark. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's that interaction between the two that makes for the unpleasantness. And what, what eventually becomes an uncompensable heat environments and that's that's where we are in Budapest. It's weird I didn't think that Budapest was a particularly hot and comfortable place but now we know.
0: Well I tell you I went for a little bit of a ride yesterday to go one of those high rent bikes out and just sort of cruised around some of the old city here in Budapest just to take a break and even at this even at the lightest gear and taking it the easiest that I could I was absolutely sweating bullets uh, just yeah. trying to get around uh, budapest on a bike so uh, that that's that's at a very low intensity so yes it, it was it's, it certainly is a factor and i had the advantage of it a bit of a wind blowing in the stadium if you look at the wind meter down on the track it literally has been zero from day one there is no wind coming from any direction in that stadium so and um, it's it's a it's a heavy quite oppressive heat as well so yeah
1: yeah all of which explains why we saw for instance uh 1610 first 5k and the women's 10,000 uh, was it 1422 for the first half of the men's 10,000 no, nobody wants to be racing hard So something has to give. so those marathons I mean they're gonna have to run two fourteens if it's, as, if it's yeah. as good as that um, okay these 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 very tiny humans that run marathons they get away with it a bit better than the big guys like you and me do because size makes a big difference because you're how much heat you produce is proportional to your mass and so the little athlete produces less and they have a relatively larger capacity to lose that heat so they will they'll cope better than we would but it's not going to be fast that's for sure but then again who who cares Then as long as you win the last yeah. day you are.
0: But, as, but i guess that tactically that makes a big difference <laughs> because uh, it's not going to be fast it's going to become a tactical race and uh, that is going to how they manage their their heat is going to be one of the challenges of these marathons and anything beyond sort of up from 5,000 meters onwards is going to be a factor. And as you say, even those shot putters, you know, warming up and moving around, it's
1: going to be a hard uh, job mm. for them. But, yeah. And in, in fact, sorry, just to say it's, it's not even so much what you do on the day, it's how did you manage the heats in the month leading up? And we've spoken before in the context of Paris next year. Athletes who've anticipated this, not like us thinking Budapest wasn't a hot place, but if, if they did know that, then you could you could gain three four minutes in a marathon by being heat adapted when your rival is not, and that means that you could very well see a two ten marathon runner beating a two o five marathon runner on the day because of that ability to plan. So it does it does throw in an element that is not whilst not entirely controllable. It does offer the athlete an opportunity to leverage planning in their favour. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not averse to it, but it'll be interesting if if it if it gets hotter towards the weekend, will they make those changes to the marathon for the safety of the athletes? It'll be interesting to see. Do we have any idea
0: about how long it takes for an athlete to potentially adapt? So in other words, an athlete has been here for a week um, and they were acclimatizing, would that be enough time for them to
1: acclimatize and give them an advantage in a marathon? No, because there's an interaction between exposure to the heat and the training you do in the heat in order to drive adaptation. So like in lab studies, for instance, they'll put an athlete at 35 degrees with 70, 80% humidity, which is equivalent to um, to what the athlete's are encountering at the peak of Budapest day, I gather. Uh, but then what they'll do in the lab is they'll make them train to exhaustion every day. And by the sixth to eighth day, they normally get to a point where they can now finish an hour. So you could argue that it takes that long. But that's when you're out there stressing your physiology every day to exhaustion. It's not... Mm-hmm the tapering that you're trying to necessarily do before a major championship so if you don't train as much and add the physiological load onto the heat it's going to be longer that makes sense yeah yeah so so i would imagine it probably takes two to three weeks to to achieve adaptation at the same time as your normal training load would be applied to an elite athlete yeah. So I guess those
0: athletes that have been uh, training, like some of our athletes, for instance, in the Southern Hemisphere, like South Africa and Australia, where the conditions have been fairly cool the last few months, that's going to be a tough ask for them to now perform
1: on the weekend. Yeah, and even I've heard, even the Kenyans who live in the Drift Valley near the equator, they say, we don't train in the heat, we avoid it. <laughs> yeah. We'll train early mornings and late afternoons so that we can get away with uh, training at higher intensities. And so yeah, you, you, I think you have to make deliberate attempts to go out and expose yourself to the heat. You've got to put a treadmill in a sauna or a steam room and then try it that way. You know. Yeah. So yeah, it affects a lot of things. It also, it also affects hundred meter sprinters. Incidentally, it definitely slows the times down, which is why, and maybe as a segue, when when Shakari Richardson runs nine six ten six five in those conditions with no wind and heavy humidity, she's a nine five ten five athlete. Yeah. Well, there we go.
0: Touching on the touching on that uh, ancient old world record. Potentially, you only consider that. So yes, thanks I... for setting up that segue for me because, <laughs> unfortunately, I missed. For those of you that uh, were following uh, yesterday, unfortunately, I missed the the early morning conversation yesterday because when you plug your um, your cell phone into a foreign plug points sometimes it doesn't work as well as you normally expect to do so my phone just went dead and i woke up a bit late because it's quite late finishes for us here in budapest we only get back to the hotel just after midnight last night and um, because once you've written up your stories and do what you need to do and uh, make your way back it's it's a long day so um, uh, I wasn't uh, able to get up at, at Hopper State yesterday morning, but anyway, that's beside that. I, I just wanted to kind of touch on a very interesting um, press conference we had at the women's hundred metres a couple of nights ago, and it was something that I've really never witnessed at World Athletics Championship level or any press conference really. And uh, Shakira Richardson, she, she obviously her first sort of World Championship wins the hundred um, metres. We know that she's a fairly controversial character. We know that she's colourful and the fact that she's always dying her hair and she's got these massively long nails and she's the typical sort of American sprinter like that but she really took a swing at some of the journalists at this press conference to the point by that by the end of the press conferences there was a couple of journalists that went to the guy that was hosting the press conference and says this kind of behavior is completely unacceptable for athletes the journalists that have come a long way across the world to cover these events and now she's basically abusing the journalists and um, she made a couple of comments to journalists who were asking quite innocuous questions about, you know, um, she didn't have particularly good um, semi-final, that's why she was in the outside lane. Um, they talked about the fact that she'd um, struggled to make this, the, this, the American team a couple of years back, and she just shot back at them and saying, well, thanks very much for mentioning that, as if we don't know that. Um, and then she talked about the fact that um, the pressure that she's been under over the last couple of years is mainly because of... Critics, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you, like, like journalists, like yourself, um, and it was a really barbed, quite um, nasty press conference because she really clearly has a very, uh, I would say, bad attitude. But she clearly has had very bad run-ins with the media over the years. Mm-hmm is very suspicious of them and uh, doesn't take kindly to journalists at all. So she didn't endear herself to any of the journalists that were there. And uh, those questions that they were asking were really quite innocuous and not particularly interesting. So I, I took a well, bit of time to kind of look at her history and say, well, why, why is this coming from her? You know, Where's the bitterness come from? And um, I looked at the, her history and obviously the, the story that comes up most often, if you Google her, is her ban just before the Olympics games in Tokyo, where she was banned for Having um, TH, uh, THC, is it THC? Yeah. Um, which is the which is the active ingredient in marijuana. She tested positive for that. She was banned for a month, um, and she didn't make the Olympic Games, having won the American trials. As shortly after that, she was again went through some drama because her biological mother, who I imagine when you read out the stories, she didn't really know particularly well. Her biological mother died, and she was only informed by a, informed by journalists that her mother had died. So she, she is quite an enigmatic character in that she, she has this huge online following. She's got two and a half million followers on Instagram. She's always on Instagram basically with as minimal clothing as possible. Um, and she is really a very interesting character. The only thing that I would suggest that mitigates some of her uh, actions on the press conference particularly is that we must remember she's only 23 years old um but i would suggest that the american uh, um, team might well do just have a bit of a chat with her about media training because even some of the things that we, she was saying we looked at the other middle list next to her um, uh, and um, fraser price was sitting next to her and raising her eyebrows every time she responded because clearly that was yeah. what she was doing which so, was, was not great
1: all Right. so a couple, couple of thoughts first of all i wake up on uh, what's today wednesday I wake up tuesday morning i've got this matt this is for the listeners now Got this message from Mike saying, really quickly press conference. Maybe we can chat about that later. So I said, okay, cool. I'm going to find this press conference. And I find it on Let's Run. And I I watched it. And after five minutes and 36 seconds, whose voice do I hear but Mike Finch asking a question? And I I remember thinking, like, because, I mean, I know the marijuana story and so on. And when you told me there's a prickly press conference and I heard you asking a question, I I remember thinking, oh, I hope it wasn't us. (laughs) I hope it wasn't you asking about the marijuana. I was like, oh, not like this. Please, no. But anyway, you asked her about her mindset, given the relatively slow start she'd had in the semi and so forth, and how she came into that final, what she was thinking. Which I think is a legit, like a 100% legit question. Like, it's what you would want to know. Like, yeah, I went away. I spoke with my coach. We worked on the start for 20 minutes. We just went through a few key cues to try and make sure that the same didn't happen again. But she can't bring herself to answer that she had to she had to say oh well thank you for pointing it out i think everyone could see that yes everyone could see that that's why we were asking you know what i mean and it's the same thing then the final question in the press conference was jonathan gold who's with let's run and he said you had a very poor 2022 season you weren't really present in the diamond leagues the world champs and so on what changed from then to now And that's again like an entirely understandable question to ask an athlete. And you'd have, you'd have actually thought most athletes would say, you know what? And in fact, Richardson herself released a video earlier this year saying she's not back, she's better. So she herself has plugged into that narrative of the improving slash returning athlete. But same thing there. She she basically had a swing at him. In her answer and then and then what's just so poor to me is all the sort of media with little laughters and stuff, things like that it's not yeah. it's not a great look from the media and so, so yeah i think in those two and i i posted a little bit on it yesterday on the patron page those of you who are patron followers would have seen that and anthony berman replied this morning and i wanted to read him that's why i'm looking off screen it says i think richardson is an extremely sensitive character has carried a lot of pain It needs to drive the narrative. How much vulnerability she has and how much she has to put up the barriers to protect herself is hard to say. And I think that is part of it. And I think it probably Mm. runs a lot deeper than the marijuana story, which we can get into, because I think there's a question around that and doping. It runs a lot deeper than even the pressure that she's felt from journalists. She has had a very prickly relationship with media for a while, to the point actually that earlier this year, she tried to, to take it on herself to drive the creation of an athlete's union, yep. in part to push back on how media exploits athletes but don't give enough back and so on. So she's quite proactive in that space and she's very polarizing because of it. But one thing for sure is now that you're the world's fastest woman and you are at 23, the likeliest person to break Griffiths Joiner's record because you got to say Fraser Price, Elaine Thompson, they must surely be at the best on the flat part of their trajectory, if not trending down as they get older. So she's the person now. Yeah, She's gonna be the face of US coverage for the Paris Olympics next year. And the the scrutiny and the questions will only intensify and they'll start coming from segments of the media that are not nearly as sympathetic as the track and field journalists might be. Yeah. So if she, if she can't match that with some kind of maturity, she, she's gonna be like a time bomb, I think. You know, this dynamite waiting to go off in the next couple of years, I think. Yeah,
0: that is an an excellent summary of it and I I do think that there is drama awaits if she continues to be at the top of the game for sure and, uh, you know, with that sort of attitude towards the media and you compare that to the attitude that and Lo Lyles had an immense 100-meter press conference, which is a vastly different um, press conference and pop- makes them really popular with the media. And they're not, media generally, and I say this um, having been involved in the media for 30 years, is that particularly track and field journalists are not out to catch out athletes. They really are there to celebrate mm-hmm. the athletes mostly, they follow the story as is, there's nothing ever personal about it. But Noah lars will be somebody that media will support, whereas Shakari Richardson, I would say that post that press conference, she's she's made some enemies, and that's not a good position to be in because once something happens that you might do
1: something wrong, journalists will jump on that, um, and mm-hmm. rightly so. <laughs> some, some enemies, right? But some extremely passionate supporter journalists, which I've always thought yes. product. I mean, there was, a, yeah. there was a question in that press conference where someone basically gave a 90-second praise speech before asking a question from the sounds of it, you're sitting right behind you and by the time this i'm using air quotes here this journalist because for me this is not journalism it wasn't by the, time this, by the time this journalist had finished most of the media were almost laughing at it because it was like she was basically in there as a fan wanting to give a compliment correct and so i think i think there's a there's a real chance that shakari richardson becomes this divisive figure and it splits along racial lines which i think will be really unfortunate but i I think that's already gonna that's already happened um, and I think that she, she she will need someone will need to work with her to find like a even a an easy truce where she tolerates the media spotlight on her because with two and a half million Instagram followers and she's posting frequently and she's engaging she clearly understands that she she has an image that wants to be projected and so she is in that sense, media friendly, but it's on her terms. It's like, I will dictate my own media narrative. And once you're in the position she is now, you can't only do that. So how they negotiate that truce between her and the mainstream media, the one she has no control over, will be very interesting. And yeah, I, yeah. Imagine someone had asked her about marijuana in that press conference. She would have walked out. Which would
0: have been a legitimate question in itself, eh? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, may- maybe. I feel like it would have been the, a little bit of
0: a and fair yeah. one, maybe. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I mean, if, for those of you listening, uh, do yourself a favor and go on to her Instagram. You don't have to follow her. I mean, you compare her two and a half million Instagram followers to Noah Lazar's 486,000. Mm-hmm. Now, she's got many more Instagram followers. But when you go on there, I won't say anything, but you'll understand why people follow her. Um, and and why she has the following that she does because she really does put it all out there in in more
1: ways than one (laughs) yeah and she she, you know I I think overall she will be very good for the sport people will talk about the sport because of her and as long as she continues to run like incredibly well and I must say the way she ran not only the final but the semi-final like that was tremendous composure to lose that much time out the blocks come back qualify as one of the fastest non-winners losers and then do the same thing in the final but without the poor false the poor start like that's an incredible performance from a 23 year old and even the way she carried herself afterwards the it's it seemed it seemed authentic to me the relationship she had with fraser price and sharika jackson i don't know where that looked different to where from where you were but In the victory lap in the press conference they seem to be genuinely affectionate and and uh, respectful of one another and that's different from the image of shikari richardson that has often been portrayed in the media and sometimes even by herself she's she's taken shots at the jamaican sprinters she's made comments that i think could be politely framed as (laughs) as confident (laughs) Um, but there was a different side that came out there. So it's quite clear that she offers so much upside to the sport. Yeah. And I do think overall, she'll be beneficial and good for the sport, but it's going to be a fractious beneficial because I think there's going to be many, many bumpy moments between her and some in the media over the next few years. And unless she drops her level, she's going to be here for five, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, no,
0: 23. She's definitely got 10 years um, ahead of her for sure. For sure.
1: Did we? we wanna, I know you, you you wanted to mention the marijuana, but a little bit, not in the context of her, but just in the context of doping. I don't know. Yeah, it's, to it's do- an interesting
0: but- story. Um, having gone down the rabbit hole of looking at her history and stuff, it was the marijuana decision is obviously quite controversial because there were a huge amount of activists in that area saying that her being banned from marijuana use is ridiculous because you know in mm. many places around the world it's completely illegal. Um, and whether marijuana should be banned at all for athletes um, because it's not necessarily performance-enhancing. I I guess, yeah, I I don't know what the the status of it is now and whether they will ever change that, but um, it's certainly on the ban list. And in fact, they should get a three-month ban but she got a one-month ban because she cooperated and went to counselling as a result of the, the positive test. And therefore, the ban was reduced um, down to one month. And it meant that she could do the relays, actually, at the Olympic Games, but couldn't do the individual event. So, yeah. again, the marijuana yeah, tour was an interesting They one. didn't
1: pick her, I think, for that. So, so just on, on the marijuana, it's interesting. I remember at the time, there was a lot of discussion about it. And people said, and I agreed with them. Is that maybe this was the moment the richardson positive was the moment for wider to reconsider why marijuana is on that list because you know for world anti-doping to put the substance on the list it has to meet three two out of three criteria it has to be performance enhancing harmful to the athlete's health or unethical and the case that has been made that marijuana was unethical because it was societally illegal if you go back into the 1990s and even the early 2000s marijuana was a, was a banned regulated substance and so there was a perception among sports authorities that we couldn't be seen to tolerate in sports, something that society wouldn't tolerate. In other words, if society set the bar, sport had to be below that bar. Yeah. Then, then the performance enhancing one, there was a, a 2011 paper that water based its policy or statement on at the time, suggesting that cannabis use could potentially improve relaxation and thus performance. I don't know that anyone listening to this who's ever imbibed in a little bit of cannabis or marijuana would agree with that because I don't and, and, and the reality is that when you look at the research on this, when you smoke marijuana, you see an increase in blood pressure, heart rate goes up, reaction times go down. In general, the physiology of cannabis is detrimental to performance. Maybe in one or two sports, you could argue that it causes relaxation. That improves certain performances. But I don't think there's any basis for it to be performance enhancing. So, straight away, marijuana doesn't meet the criteria to be on the banned list anymore. And there was a 2021 paper that was published. It was a systematic review and it summarized, I think, eight or 10 studies. And the conclusion was that there's no evidence at all that this would be a performance enhancing drug. And then you add to that the fact that now it's legal in many countries and many states within the US, for instance. It feels to me that the societal perception of it has changed. And so it does seem a little bit draconian for sport to now treat it in the same way that you would treat regulated substances or pharmacolo- pharmacological substances that we know are performance enhancing. So yeah, I, I think that it would be worth reconsidering its status as a banned substance myself. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you say that it's gotta be a, a, a threshold drug where if you detect a certain amount, you know, in the same way that they treat asthma drugs or something, you can compromise maybe. But the idea that you're guilty of doping because you smoked a joint, to me, is just ridiculous. Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm. Anyway, so let's move on to some of the highlights. Uh, last night saw two really, really big events, but kind of went according to the playbook, the women's uh, 1500 meter final with Faith Kib Jägen. I know Ross and I had a bit of a chat about whether Sif and Hassan had any chance of beating her. And uh, as uh, Ross, uh, predicted it, it was a it was a really was a bit of a no contest really Kip mm. Yagon pulling away in the last lap and just you know Hassan just was never able to get back she almost got into almost got second place but in the end just lost lost over the last hundred meters but I mean Kip Yagon is she's a phenomenal athlete there's no doubt I mean she's she's one of the greats of, of the current era for sure no well, of
1: all eras maybe uh, yeah like it's hard to see Yes, yeah. so so two things from that. One was an exceptional performance at the front, tactically and obviously physiologically. Kipyaigon led the whole race. The first hundred meters was covered in under fourteen seconds. It was a flat-out sprint to the two hundred meter mark, and Kipyaigon took that inside lane and said, "Right, I'll run this the way I want to." And then I think it was a sixty-four something, a sixty-six something. So not lightning fast for the first two laps, and then she just got faster and faster. The third lap was sixty. And her final lap from 11 to 15 was 56.6, which is just outrageously fast. I was reading on Let's Run a comparison of all the final laps that she's done, and I mean, she's she's run slower times in the past with slower final laps to win races than that. It's it was unbelievable. So as good as she was, Hassan did the same thing in this race as she did in the 10,000. She gave them six meters at the bell. Yeah, and I, I just. Look, she was never going to beat Kip Yagon. Kip Yagon was going to beat everyone over that final lap, even with a five-meter head start, I reckon. But Hassan gave the eventual silver medalist about five meters and lost by two. And so that, I just, I get that she wants to be sort of cool at the back. <laughs> but I just don't know how, you can't react with 600 to go. Move yourself forward then in order to be in a better place when you know it's going to be 57 58 on the final 400 meters it just seemed like a again a very poor finish of a race for hassan yeah no absolutely i
0: uh, i think she's it's going to be uh, it's going to take a lot to beat her and uh, who knows how far she can take this because um we're be interesting to know exactly where she is in her trajectory in terms of world records you know could she could she continue to go faster is that is this where she is at the moment, and that that's where she's reached now as her maximum? Uh, I don't know. She's it's an interesting uh, um, to see what happens with her. But uh, well, certainly it's certainly fantastic to watch her run.
1: It's in amazing real life. because she she could literally go in both directions, and she will now. I think unless unless the conditions feel so unpleasant that she says, "No, nah, you know what? I'd rather go break another couple of world records in diamond leagues." And I don't want to do the 5,000 this time. But if she runs the five, as I think she stated, she intends to, she seems likely to win it. How do you beat someone with 56 second closing speed yeah. and the world record? That's the problem. And I made this point yesterday when I did my little sort of Insta monologue. Is Sometimes you go up against someone who you know is strong at the finish in the last two, 300 meters but they they don't have the ability to run fast for the whole distance. Sometimes you have the opposite, you know. How do you beat someone who's the world record holder and has the best closing speed? It it seems impossible to me to think how anyone will beat that. Yeah. So, so, so let's say she wins the five. Her last, this wasn't this year, but her last 800 last year was 157. So that's the close of 1500 and This is a very so, good afternoon a time on itself. <laughs> so if she, if she fancied it, she could probably go down. So, mm. so I mean, and, and, and the, the, then the only other world record, she's got the 15, the mile, the 5,000. The one right in the middle is that 3,000. It's the last remaining Chinese record. You'd think that might be on the agenda for later this year. So she could, she could finish this year with two world titles and three world records. I don't know that any runner, man or woman, had a year with that kind of dominance it's it's quite extraordinary and almost getting towards that area of unparalleled i'd say yeah yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. and then the other final that chase, um the
0: same result virtually the first and second place the same as it was two years ago with sofiana al bakalai the moroccan out sprinting uh germa and uh I, again it was it, I, it's always sad a little bit because you always expect a kenyan a domination of this event but over the last couple of years now the Kenyans have certainly lost their grip on the 3,000 meters keyboard chase and uh, Al Bacala is, is certainly somebody who's he just times it beautifully he knows exactly what he's doing um, and he knows exactly what he what he what he needs to do to win so first and second exactly the same as it was in um, in the uh, at the world championships two years ago
1: and the Olympics and the world champs before that if I. yes yeah, so the um, Olympics yeah. as well yeah, yeah. So it presents, Watching it repeat. and you know, like if if Sifan Hassan's tactics are questionable, I'd give her like a D. Germa gets an F. I haven't seen such a stupid tactical race from a guy since the since the Kenyans failed many times to beat Farah because he he did he did exactly what he shouldn't have done, and that's to let the pace amble for the first k and a half because Bakali's beating everyone in a sprint almost 99 out of 100 times, you know, like probably more than 99 100 and 100 times. And Goem is the world record holder in the steeple chase, the 3000 indoors, and he's got one of the fastest 1500 meter times ever. So when you ask athletes to run a hard longer effort for three and a half minutes to 15, or for seven and a half minutes to 3000 or eight minutes to steeple, Goem is your guy. So then how can you allow the pace to meander to 250 through 1K? And then 244 through the second K. Goma should have gone and run 238, 238, 236, and he beats Bukali. Now, it's hot in Budapest, I get that. So maybe you take off a couple seconds and you say, but no one's beating Bukali by running the way that Goma did that. It, it's just, it's I don't know whether it's a courage thing, and I get it must be difficult to take it on yourself in a world champs. But when Goma, when Gama broke that world steeplechase record, he was all by himself for almost 2Ks in that race. Mm-hmm. So the idea of front running a hard 2K on your way to a 750-something, he's done that. He should have done it last night, and he would have had maybe not guaranteed win, because, of course, Bacali's a good athlete, but he would have had a much better chance than setting it up for Bacali the way he did it. It was mm-hmm. a really disappointing, because it was a super hyped race, and I was so disappointed in it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. 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 Good point. And then the final question, I mean, the final point from me was the the interview that we did with Wade Farnikirk, the world record holder over the 400 metres, and uh, for us here in South Africa, probably the biggest story of the night. Uh, He just squeaks into the final of the 400 metres, and this is the first final he's been in since 2016 in in Rio, when he broke that world record um, in lane number nine. And uh, this is for those of you that uh, are following the Wade Farnikirk story in 2017. He uh, participated in a touch rugby event in Cape Town and um, basically destroyed his uh, what's anterior crucial ligament in his knee and his meniscus um, mm-hmm. and has been battling for six years to get back to any sort of shape. And I think the fact that he's in the final is somewhat remarkable, but uh, it's certainly not the weight for knee kirk that broke the world record in 2016. And at 31 years of age, you kind of feel that the comeback whether he ever gets back to the, to the level he was in 2016 um, is looking more and more unlikely, as much as all of us in South Africa wish it wasn't so. Um, I think it's a, a very outside chance for a medal, maybe fourth or fifth if he
1: has a good race, but uh, we obviously hope for more. Yeah, the, the so a couple of things. I suppose no matter what happens in the final, he and his team will go away from Budapest and say, okay, we didn't do as well as we wanted to, but at least we've improved relative to last year's world champs, which itself was an improvement relative to the Olympics before that. And so they will say that their trajectory is still positive and they're trending in the right direction. But of course he came in, I think with the third or fourth, fourth fastest time in the world this year. Yeah, and fourth, they fourth, would have yeah. eyed this as a place to improve on that. And if he'd improved on that, he's running low 44, and that's probably winning a medal on the, in the final in a couple of days. So you could argue, I guess it's disappointing, but also encouraging all at the same time. It's so difficult though, this one, because we are quite accustomed, I think, to seeing rugby players and footballers, for instance, experiencing ACL injuries, and they do come back. Um, and we've had a, a few high profile names in this country in rugby. A couple of weeks ago, the French fly half, Emile Intermac, uh, injured himself ACL playing in one of the warm-up games everyone expects he will be back it takes a long time with an ACL but you do come back the thing is a 400 meter athlete is a different beast because your limb movement is so fast and the forces that are going through those joints are so high that when you get to the last 150 and you overlay fatigue of the muscles around the knee on top of the requirement to move the legs that quickly and the eccentric load and so on no one really knows how an ACL rupture is going to heal in an athlete who's putting their body through that. You know, it's kind of like rugby players are amazing athletes, but, but this 400-meter athlete, this is almost a different specimen, right? And they do different things. It's like a comparison between an Aston Martin and a Land Rover. You know, the rugby player yeah. is the Land Rover, and this is the Aston Martin. And when, when you damage, let's say, the axle of an Aston Martin compared to a Land Rover, there's a different process in how you repair that. And so no one really knows. They wouldn't have known either. And so I suppose they'll be looking at his times and saying, you know, he's inching forward, he's inching better. And who knows, maybe maybe this podcast looks horribly dated and he runs 44.3 in the final. And I think that would get a medal because yeah. uh, it's an unbelievably wild 400-meter event at the moment. I mean, the favourite collapsed with 110 to go yesterday, Gardner. You saw that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. He's uh, that
1: was literally on the final bench. Yeah he was leading that third heat and he went to the ground with what looked like a calf or hamstring injury uh there is no longer a karani james at that level the americans are not as strong as they used to be vernon norwood finished fast yesterday but is he a 44 low or 43 high guy i don't know so i would i would be saying you can run 44 three you're going to be top five and maybe a medalist and so then hey it looks successful but yeah what a that's six years ago now, right? He was 25 at the time and in the position to assume the mantle as like the high-profile athletes in the world athletics. And what what a blow! What a touch a touch rugby game can cause all that. Unbelievable. So sad for him. Yeah, exactly. Mm. As yeah, I it. he I
0: mean he's, he has got a 44 was 44.04 this year a weight for new cook So he's mm. capable of running, but when he's able to do that on the back of heats and semifinals that's again, it. that's a huge, yeah that is
1: that is the key is can are you durable you know and i think you can get yourself into a place where you can produce it for 44 seconds and then you need four or five days maybe are you durable enough to do it every second day and that's so far the answer seems to be no for our sakes you hope that he that he can he can find a yes but just as a general point it's so far i've not seen anything in the heats and the semis that suggests that anyone's going to break 44 in this championship and when you consider yeah. the surface and the shoes compared to where it was six seven years ago and you're seeing 43 mid 43s 400 meter running as healthy as distance athletes and sprint team 400 meter running does not seem in a particularly good it's, it must be the most open that and the 800 are the most open races in uh in, in this world champs I reckon. Yeah. yeah
0: and also i mean it was interesting that he, he talks and he opened up quite a lot to the little media throng that was around him talking about the fact and intimating that he's really struggled to kind of motivate himself to continue Mm. this journey because just getting out of bed and and going to training and that sort of thing, is clearly an issue. And I think after six years of just never kind of getting where you want to be. um, But as you say, maybe he needs to take the good out of this and really realize that he's got to a final, um, which is a step forward. And if he continues, maybe there is a chance of him at the the Olympic games next year to, to be even better. And
1: maybe he surprises us all and gets that medal. Yeah, but, uh, yeah you know when you when you're you coming from a forty-three zero three, and you leave rio and you think my next goal is to be the first human under 43 and, and 42-9 something and now you're saying like can i squeak a final mm. you can see why it's difficult mm. and demotivating so i hope he hope he persists with it but 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 the, the root cause of it all is i think that uncertainty it must be unbearable to like not ever know if you can get back there you're doing the same things you used to do and you're not getting the reward and the return on them and yeah must be very difficult for him yeah. i reckon yeah, mm. exactly
0: so that's all from so, me um but a yeah, more from be, me. as usual it's been an enormously uh interesting chance and we're, we're just about half we're not even halfway yet
1: <laughs> yes i know so what's today five so this is the halfway point tonight yep um yeah. I, I always have a couple more things i know you say that's all for mm. me there's a couple for me <laughs> uh there've been a few big doping stories in the last few days more off track than on um yesterday the athletes integrity unit which is the unit that was set up by world athletics to basically enforce their anti-doping held a big press conference in budapest and sean ingle who's i know you've now bumped into a couple times there he was at that and messaged me and for, for listeners we will do our best to line Sean up to talk specifically about this because it was interesting. Two things came out of it. One is that they are now in position to finally introduce a steroid passport. Listeners will know that for many years now, there's been a blood passport um, in place, which is an anti-doping tool that tracks how your blood parameters change over time. The idea being that you don't have to detect a banned substance in the athlete. You can look for the effects of the banned substance in that person over time. Makes sense, yes? Yep. So now they've finally got to the point, it seems, where they're ready to introduce a steroid passport. Because the blood one was really good for blood doping and EPO, but you couldn't use it for testosterone, growth hormone, insulin-like growth factor. And they reckon now that that tool is is ready for prime time. So that was announced yesterday. So I will speak to Sean at some point about that and get more detail. The other thing that was interesting is that the Athletics Integrity Unit took a few swings at other sports. And so the guy who's the chair of that AIU um, was critical of other sports. He said, there's FIFA and the rest of the world. FIFA run a program where they tick the boxes in terms of their in-competition testing. It's the out-of-competition they find difficult not many of the big sports have a robust anti-doping program. Many people in team sports will go through their careers without being tested once. And so it is quite clear and it's actually come up. Ian who's one of our regular contributors on patron said recently, why do we keep seeing positives in track and field yet? We never really see them in other sports. We see very few in cycling and basically none in football, rugby, tennis, and I think the answer is how intelligently and how much they test. And so that is what came across from uh, this, this press conference yesterday. So it's interesting to see. I mean, is there an appetite for FIFA to set up a football integrity unit? I highly doubt it. Same for all the other sports. I don't think they want to deal with it. So they don't. <laughs> Eyes wide shut kind of thing. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's so that came out yesterday. And then related to the uh, AIU, the world 100 meter record holder in the sorry 100 meter hurdles record holder is a nigerian called toby amusan remember last year she broke that record in eugene big big surprise in the semi won the gold in the final she was earlier this year provisionally suspended by the aiu for missing three tests so if you miss three tests it's called a whereabouts failure and three of those equals positive the idea being that you have to be available to be tested otherwise you could dope disappear and pretend you were innocent and clean she appealed that and the tribunal that heard her appeal overturned her provisional suspension that decision is due today so maybe by the time you are listening to this that decision by the tribunal will have been published and what the athlete integrity unit said yesterday is that they would look at that decision then consider whether to appeal it or not the reason i bring this all up is that there is currently a cloud over that athlete at budapest the 100-meter hurdle started yesterday. After her heat, she was asked by an Irish journalist called Carl Denny about that, and she flat out refused to answer it. She looked at his name and she said, "Why are you asking me that? I don't. I'm not here to answer questions like this." And she sort of stormed off. So there's another athlete with a fractious relationship with the media, and in fact. <laughs> If you want the hottest ticket in town, if she wins a medal in that event, that's the press conference you want to go to. Because I reckon <laughs> <laughs> I reckon she's gonna be spitting fire because someone is definitely going to ask her about that. Mm. They're already asking now. So there's um there's some and, and it's again it's You you look at it on Twitter. The journalist who asked that question is getting all kinds of abuse from her fans, and so this is going to be another one of those situations. So anyway, I just wanted to raise raise that one for everyone's attention. And then your next your next assignment (laughs) from from our patron community. I got an email yesterday on patron from Dan P, who sent me a link to an article in the Australian media in which their pole vault athlete is saying that the runway for the pole vault is downhill. Okay. And they've made, it, they've made the pole vault runway to have a tilt so that the athletes can get more speed and thus jump higher. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but if your phone, you know the iPhone's got a little spirit level? <laughs> <laughs> so without without getting without getting chucked from the stadium, obviously, I don't want your creds to be revoked on account of our desire to confirm or not this theory. would be interesting to know if they've done that. Because apparently they can do it. They can build a downhill runway.
0: I will definitely go and do that, and uh, I've, I've I've found sneaky ways of getting onto these into the stadium during the uh, two sessions today, and I'll definitely take the take the old spirit level and do that. Yeah, you know, that's a great idea. So I, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be able fun. to confirm that today,
1: probably at tomorrow's podcast. Yeah, and I'll pop the uh, I'll pop the, the the link to that article. It's an interview with a pole artist. His name, of course, as usual, escapes me, uh, in which she talks about this, and and she says this is why so many women are jumping so high. So yes, good okay. fun, good times, an interesting thing. <laughs> of all the of all the ways to enhance performance, that is not one that I ever thought I would. It no. didn't cross my mind. That's an interesting. Imagine doing thing. that for the home straight. You could build a downhill home straight. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and nine,
0: could, even nine. Even 0.5% downhill would give you a, probably a, a world record, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, Lars runs nine three. Shakira Richardson centre runs 10.35. The four hundred, the four hundred meter athletes would hate you because if you made the home straight downhill, you'd have to make the back straight uphill to, to make yeah. up for it. So those guys, guys wouldn't be so keen on that idea. But there you go. I will go so, yeah, on that's, the, that's all and I will much. measure with my spirit level
0: to see whether we're all level at all. Maybe we'll yeah. discover. An amazing story about the hundred meter straight, and we can break the story tomorrow. Who knows? World,
1: world exclusive. What's on the agenda tonight? Just as a last word before we go, what are we? Yeah, going so to? three
0: three finals: fifteen hundred meters for men, four hundred meters for women, and four hundred meters hurdles for men. Um, always great events. It's nice to have three finals in one night. Um, and of course, we talked about that five thousand earlier in the day, and the heat. That's going to be at seven o'clock tonight. And there's even sessions this morning, uh, 800 metres this morning, pole vault means qualifying is this morning. That's um, going to be hot, sitting in the sun, waiting for your pole vault.
1: Did you see the controversy around Warholms' 400 metres semi-final, the hurdles? I didn't, no. The, I think it's the second or third hurdle. His left leg comes around the, the side of the hurdle, not over the top of it. Right. And so this was shown on Eurosport. And I think here in South Africa, I missed that replay, but I then saw it on Twitter. And they're saying, how is the guy not disqualified for this? Because there's a there's a side angle which makes it look pretty clear that he's come. It's called hooking, you know, when they come around the side yeah. of it instead of over the top level of it. So that was, I mean, it's difficult to see how you wouldn't get disqualified for that. But I guess if you're Warholm and everyone wants the Warholm Benjamin DeSantis final, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> but it's, it was a talking point two days ago two evenings back yeah I didn't know yeah. about that so we'll keep an eye on that one and, and, then, so sorry, and, then, final. and then what happened is the let's run did a piece on it and they found another photograph from him early this year in Oslo or Stockholm one of the two Diamond League events where it looks like a similar thing happens down the back straight on I think hurdle five or six so it seems to be something that maybe he, he, he does you know I mean you and you don't see it in the race you'd have to analyze each hurdle specifically but uh, yeah an interesting one sort of with the potential of being a big story and it just kind of went away because they said no <laughs> we're not not disqualifying him but, but that, that fine whether, be...
0: whether it's deliberate or not to be honest i can't imagine that he would
1: deliberately be able to do that yeah i don't it, i don't know that it matters i mean either way you you're like if you step on the lane line for two or three steps doesn't matter if you did it on purpose right you're still yeah. violating the rule right so anyway that final will be really good because while i think he's probably a level above the other two they'll challenge quite hard so i wouldn't be that surprised if that's a world record in that event tonight keep an eye and, for and that. just as an interesting thing watch warham before
0: the start of the race he has the most violent pre-race um warm-ups the session as he's standing on the blocks so he basically abuses himself he slaps his face and all sorts of incredible things so he really gets himself riled up so it's always an interesting one of the most um animated warm up routines I've seen in seen the, in the
1: sport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah that so that that was always gonna be one of the highlights. The Rio four hundred meter hurdles was uh, not Rio, sorry, the Tokyo Olympic four hundred meter hurdle. And then last year in Eugene he wasn't there. So he'll be back to try and reclaim that global title. Okay, Worlds vs Olympic. But that will be a, a big race. And then the other event tonight is Inge in the fifteen. So that could be two goals from Norway in one night, which will be, again, always a talking point. in the 15, they got the same problem they got with You know What do you do? Because if it's a 1,500-meter flat-out race, he's winning it. If you wait to the last 300 meters, he's probably winning it also. So how do you beat him? I well, the know. only way to we'll beat him
0: is if he continues to showboat like he did in the semifinals. Maybe he'll take his off the ball and, uh, and uh, lose the plot a bit. But... Uh... That he's, he, he's, he's great, to, to be honest with you, he's great for the sport, I, I, as much as there's criticism about the way he acts in the semi-final, trying to get the crowd going, I do think he's a real character and, um, you know, as Martin Hayes says, he might be more beatable than Faith kibiagon Um, Yeah, I, I, think, I don't know whether he
1: is, but <laughs> we'll see. I think that's true, but only because Faith kibiagon is unbeatable mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Ingebrigtsen is 1% beatable. <laughs> 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 I think we're comparing zero to one here basically is the difference but but um yeah I mean it, it would be it would be an all-time classic highlight if he celebrates early and loses exactly, exactly. but uh, I don't think it's gonna happen I think he'll celebrate and win I think he's just too good so look forward to that
0: yeah yeah well that's our, our that's our quick catch-up which has been 53 minutes this morning So I hope you guys have all enjoyed uh, some of the catch-up. There's always so much to talk about that we could probably talk about this for another hour and still not get to it all. But uh, there's so much to talk about in these championships and we hope that you're enjoying the athletics as much as we are. Um, Being there here in Budapest has been an amazing experience to see all of this live. And uh, thank you very much for everybody for your input and your comments. Um, They are noted and we hope we get to as many of the queries
1: as we can. We can't can't get to all of those, but we, we certainly try. Yeah. Especially on Patreon. So if you're watching this on Instagram and you would like to join that Patreon community, please feel free to sign up for the price of a cup of coffee or a Hungarian beer for Mike. It's one plate of uh, goulash. <laughs> and then, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow, I guess, with uh, another chat about tonight's action. Yeah. So join us then. Cool. Join us then. Cheers, guys. Subscribe. Ciao, bye. Mike. bye While- all.